0: The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop. Onyx offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit onyxmaps.com or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N, NATION, followed by the number 20.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation,
0: habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you.
1: Hey guys, welcome back. To the Quarantined Land and Legacy podcast, um,
0: self quarantine. Yeah,
1: Adam <laughs> Keith, my main man Brennan and Matt here. Uh, yeah, there, there's you a little joke for you. It's been,
0: the brothers.
1: It's been a few, a few days of here at home self quarantine, and uh, my lanta. today we had to go. Nick, my wife had that uh, a listing. Uh, that she's been working on, had to go take some pictures. So it was the first time I'd been outside in three days or something like that, which doesn't Fresh seem hair. like that long. But three days without outside for me is just unreal. And uh whew, I, I'm already, I'm already ready to get some more time outside. So no doubt, uh, no doubt.
0: I, I got lucky. I had a uh, real estate showing I had to go and do, and. I took the long way home and I took the gravel roads home. I like, I need to just enjoy some of this. And it's, it's been really nice because grass is starting to grow, starting to green up. Yeah. I'm seeing service berries and things like that kind of starting to pop. And I'm like, wow, it's, spring is almost here. It's, it's definitely coming fast, which is a nice thing to see. But I just hope it doesn't do that whole two-week spring and then we're in the summer thing. That would not be cool.
1: That's right. No, not at all. Not at all. So you were going on the way home. You were like, "Lord, make me a sponge. Let's soak all yeah. this up."
0: Yes, because it's we're at that time frame right now, where it's like, "What are what is the next week going to look like?" I don't know what's going to be. Yeah. But I know <laughs> this. Despite not liking to be inside, we should probably be inside in our house. Yeah. Being respectful to everybody, and uh, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. So I, yeah. step on, step I think in. about.
1: I was telling my, tell my wife, you think about some of those people that as soon as this broke, you know, over a, almost a week and a half ago, they all lock themselves away and they're like day one, day two, now they're like day ten, day twelve. Yeah. What if we get a mandatory another fourteen days? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to just get my shovel out of the garage, and I'm going to dig down. I'm going to start heading east and see if I can make it to the farm before it all, before we finally get out of this. <laughs> <'Cause>... Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, a long dig. Long. That's a long
0: hike. Much less digging. <laughs> yeah. I oh, goodness. But well anyway, you
1: know, this week's podcast, so we've got... Uh, Probably going to drop the Frank, or no, Kyle and and I um, chatting about um, various things over on that podcast, so go check it out. Um, But, you know, we've been, uh, Matt, I pulled up my Onyx uh, as I do almost every day, it seems like, to kind of just start working on the next report, next map, and yeah. you know we started really i have and i know you have too started really using onx a lot for our um for our mapping and just overall building our reports for clients and uh there is a, a lot of waypoints marked out on that uh on that <laughs> system and uh, a lot of them are in the past but there's a whole lot of them this year and i'm just looking at that going you know we have flat covered some ground this spring. Um, I'm not even sure how many states we've been in so far this spring for 2020, but it's been a lot. Um, I can't. It's, even...
0: al- it's almost scared to. I'm kind of scared to go back and count it so far. But um, I mean, it's I... been it's been a ride for sure. And and I know you're only looking at your Onyx waypoints. Yeah, much less what I've been traveling to as well. So it's like you you. Double that, and it's like, holy cow! Yeah, there's been. I know you've hit West
1: Virginia, Ohio, I've hit Indiana and Illinois. Uh, yeah. we both hit Kentucky, you hit Tennessee and um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and Alabama, um, yeah. and then Iowa,
0: Kansas,
1: Nebraska.
0: Nebraska, yeah, a couple it's, over the
1: phone virtual property evaluations, which big shout out. Uh, that, well, I should finish that thought. I've got a couple of those up north, um, Wisconsin and Ohio, Michigan Minnesota. and Minnesota for you, and a couple others. So, um, you know, guys, we haven't said a lot about it because we've been so screaming busy writing reports and doing our on-site visits, but the virtual property evaluations, um are live, and we are booking um, booking those meetings, those online meetings. So if you guys are interested, you can go to landandlegacy.tv and go to the consultation tab, scroll to the bottom, and you'll see Virtual Property Evaluations. It's an online, over-the-phone, basically, meeting or webinar between you and and us, and we will go through your property and figure out how we can improve it um, through a virtual evaluation.
0: Absolutely, I think I think the ones that I've been on, I know that you'll say the same thing. But um, definitely, a great interactions between folks and and, and people with different um, overall issues. You know, we're helping, of course, lay out some features best we can, evaluate the pictures and species that are there, but. Um, Just overall guidance, and and a lot of it's a very good sounding board where we have the ability to um, understand what it is that you're looking like on the ground, plant communities that are there making those suggestions and kind of pushing you in a way to um, confirm the plans maybe or redirect some of the plans that you had for the property. So all in all, I think they've been extremely beneficial for the folks who have um, signed up for those as of late and hopefully we'll be the same. We've got some more coming up next week. But if you guys are interested, we'd love to uh work with you there through the property evaluations.
1: Absolutely. Um so speaking of which we've got a, a kind of a hot hot topic um with our basically um overall cons or overall podcast this week is kind of talking about the problem with deer. We'll explain that, but that's really kind of the gist of the second half of this podcast when it comes to habitat management and the problem that we face with whitetail deer. Um but before we do that, and the reason I mentioned it earlier was so we want to go back. I think the last time we did this was in January, but we find that it's it's something that a lot of people really like when we talk about our consults. So Matt and I are gonna zip through some of the consults we've done over the last few weeks and some of the main points that we can bring away to either help um, you guys on your spending for your farms and your habitat management or whether it be for your um, overall just decision-making and try to cut time and, and use your time wisely. So, uh, Matt, do you want to kick us off? You got anything pressing? Sure.
0: Yeah, so one one of the things that is just super fresh on my mind um I guess it was early earlier this week, got back after QDMA, spent some time in Alabama and was working on a property down that way. You guys might have seen some social media videos um, while they're on site, but just a really super unique location from some of the past um, management practices that have been implemented there. And um, the farm has definitely seen some changes. It was a family farm. Uh, right at 800 acres but a lot of it had been cattle and then transitioned into um some forestry practices with planted pines and then some of the pines actually failed and they came back in and um actually just did a, a, a pretty intense prescribed fire during the dormant season a few years ago two years ago i guess and um it was what kind of pines so they planted um, longleaf pine gotcha. in the most recent planting but the site <laughs> was very upland and um, not very sandy very clay soil so they suspect that's why they did not do as well the loblolly that was planted in other locations um was doing really well gotcha. so um anyhow the i guess it's just that constant reminder that land can be shaped and over time from different landowners or different goals with the land as, as the property had been passed down from his grandfather um, and then to him, things can change. And so, um, in the past two years, he's he's just kind of been working more towards the idea of i want to make this a wildlife friendly property i've got i've got young boys now and i want to be able to do something where they can just grow up in this environment an outdoor classroom per se that um, they're going to be able to enjoy there's fishing ponds there are um, cattle on it right now but they're going to soon be removed She's going to have incredible opportunities to teach these boys all about the outdoors on this place. And so that's been um, just kind of a refreshing mindset, honestly, to have someone to be able to work with um, that's there at that place in their life where they can transform this property into that and share those experiences with his kids. But specifically in that two-year-old failed pine planting, the gentleman had a beautiful composition of hardwood saplings, grasses forbs brambles coming back and it was like wow holy cow you you can just imagine uh what the fall is going to look like out there um with deer moving across what essentially looked like clear cuts um but that's not quite the i guess the history of those sites anyhow make a long story short (laughs) one of the cool things that is going to be implemented Based on the road system that's there and kind of breaks up all these different units, is really changing the fire intervals on those places and then the timing of those fires. So um, we want to keep that habitat in a relatively close proximity to what it's at right now. Two three year cycle down there, super long growing season. We already have sprouts, you know, head high or so. Um, but what what's going to occur is there'll be several units in each quadrant that are burned, you know, on a two year cycle, probably dormancy. I mean, uh, growing season, we want really herbaceous and then some are um, a two to three year cycle switching back and forth and other ones we want more dense in certain locations that are more centralized to the farm where maybe there'll be a little bit heavier stem density. Um, we're going to let them go that far, Four, five year, five or six year, possibly even um, time frame with fire. And so he's going to have lots of different stages of regeneration awesome. in all these areas instead of just, you know, 300 acres of all the same. Just by breaking up that fire rotation and the timing, we're going to have so many different plant communities there represented. And then all the open acres that are cattle pasture are also going to get transformed down the road too. But man, that was just a joy to see and no doubt, you know, five years down the road, when we come back, this place is going to be so drastically different. So, so fire was, is going to be
1: their biggest tool.
0: Absolutely. Fire and, and honestly, um, spraying out some of the pasture grasses. Oh uh, yeah. There's a mixture of Bermuda, Berhe- Bahia. Um, they had done a lot of interseeding and some of it was just wheat and, and some of the pastures. So um, just succession, Overall, is going to be um, really neat to watch that progression through the years coming. Because, I mean, there was there was probably ten to fifteen acres of hardwoods on this place, and probably a hundred and fifty of planted pine, and the rest was open. So we have a lot of options when it comes to managing that landscape for wildlife. We're creating corridors. We're creating um you know other areas of of um succession and just spraying them out and letting them go and managing fire differently there so tons of opportunity and that one that one was definitely kind of sit you back in your seat and say wow this one's going to be a lot of work to lay out but the opportunity and the options almost are are endless. So um, there's been there's been a lot of times of me just staring at the computer here recently trying to figure it all out, but I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. Awesome, yeah. What, that, what what about you? What what have you seen here?
1: Yeah, you know that that brings up an interesting point when you talk about their extensive road system throughout that property, and it gave uh, that landowner the ability to use prescribed fire not only for hunting access. Um, do those roads help, but for, especially for prescribed fire, because you can get just various stages. You can burn one, one, whatever, let's say a 20 acre unit during the dormant season. And then three years later, hit it during a growing season to where you have this mosaic of different regeneration rates and ages, um where you 've stimulated various plant communities through the timing of your fire and the intensity of your fire, and so now you have just you 've got diversity. what do you know and Absolutely. uh um man, it feels like it feels like uh that 's just a word that we use so much. I think we've used it a time or two on here, but even in our Maybe. seminar at QDMA, I noticed we were saying diversity a lot. And it's like, <laughs> I wonder if people realize how how often we say that. And I wonder if it's like, we should just make shirts that just say diversity across it, or a hat that just says diversity. Yeah, that's right. Um, no doubt. But, you know, bringing up that their property and segue right into... Uh, to, well the first property i want to mention is in is in the southeast and uh it's a it's a property new landowner he had not owned it very long um just just around a year give or take and uh never owned a farm before um relatively new to the whole land management side um and you know the when you look at we we both work real estate um and do a good bit of helping landowners helping clients find the ideal farm and there's always weighing out things. Do you want the turnkey where everything's in place? Um, not the turnkey that's advertised, but a truly turnkey. <laughs> if yeah. you don't know what we're talking about, go check out one of the past podcasts. But um you know, do you want that? Because you're probably gonna have to pay a little more for that. Or do you want to go into the you know, this is a fixer upper. It's been logged, it's been it's had work done. Uh, it's going to take a lot more work to get it where it needs to be, um, and and those farms are typically less expensive. Um, you have the ability to, if you can see through the ugliness of a timber cut or see through the ugliness of whatever it may be, and you can see it for what it is five or ten years from now, then you can probably then that might be the property for you. Uh, But it takes a certain landowner, and this guy bought this farm. It had been logged, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, So immediately you think thick. It's brushy. Um, It's got a lot of stems per acre. Uh, But immediately when I hear it's been logged, I think of really one main thing. Sunlight, new growth, and a road system. And yep. in this case, the road system was something where you know how do you how do you gauge that when you look at a farm and you're like, hey, it's been logged I look at it, yeah, you may have lost the potential for income produced from from logging, but you got to look at it going, how much would it cost me to put roads all through this thing like the guy who logged it did um, because if there wasn't much timber value there um if there wasn't. When they logged it, they just, they really tried to squeeze some money out of it, but they didn't get a lot. We don't know what it looked like before, but if that was the case, you know, I'll take the trade. We got great skitter trails turned to road systems on this farm with a little bit of work after the skitter went through. We've got great roads around the perimeter, through the interior, probably some nice openings because they had to push out trees to make a a loading dock. Um... And that's the situation this guy was in. And so I was there and I got there, we got there probably eight in the morning, but if we would have had backpack blowers, we could have blown out the roads and dropped fire that afternoon and burned 20 acre unit. Um, mm. And, yeah. you know, that's you so just much, don't so find that value, all the time.
0: So much value to the lack of work having to be done prior to just implementing fire right away. Like, that's that's incredibly valuable.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just one of those things that, you know, we preach a lot about actively managing your timber. If you need sunlight, consider a log, a logging operation. Uh, and then take that one step further. If you are considering a logging operation, make sure, I mean, I'm here as clearly, make sure you have your road system that you would like laid out and have those loggers Use that road system when they're draw- when they're dragging out logs because then, with a little bit of work, when they finish up, you have a road system exactly where you need it for fire break hunting access, whatever it is um a, a road system that you and the family can recreate on and ride four wheelers or take hikes that doesn't blow right through your food plots or blow right through your bedding areas it's all it's i mean you're an artist you have the ability to paint a beautiful picture. But in the same scenario, you have the ability to paint a horrible picture that somebody wants to throw away. You get to pick the paintbrush and the strokes you take. So you better make sure you do it correctly. Yeah, it's long-lasting.
0: You know, that's the other thing about uh, buying a timbered, um property and and it doesn't have to be just demolished timber but just just one that has been logged and you you come in there and you're on tour and you're seeing treetops this and that well if if you're gonna call us to come and do a consultation there's gonna be treetops on the ground after we leave anyhow so it's like you're kind of buying some of that some of that work being already done you know you've got a semi-open canopy and that allows more light to come in and get some of the responses that we're looking for anyhow. Yeah. So it's like you can look at it two different ways. You be the one who takes all not all the trees, let's say, but you, you be the one who says which trees go or come into it, pay quite a bit less, and know that a lot of the work is done and I've got a road system to be able to then follow up and manage right in behind That logging operation, because Adam, how many times, one, have we talked about on the podcast, but seen it on properties, a logging operation occurs, and nothing else happens?
1: Well, that's that's property number two that I want to highlight. Great property, has a ton of potential, but I don't want to, like, you know, let's, I'll promote our services right now. We're land consultants, natural resource management, to where we help you avoid the costly mistakes, not only in purchasing, but also in time and overall productiveness of your farm. And if you're considering a logging operation or or just had one done, please email or call us <laughs> because oh, yeah. we can save you so much time. Um, because this second property was logged a couple of years ago. And where,
0: where where's the second property at? This was in,
1: uh, Kentucky. Okay. Um, and you know, it was logged and pretty aggressively, uh, this guy bought it after the logging. Basically, um, they sold the timber and they sold the farm and he bought the farm. And so the timber got logged while he was just owning it. And so they cut a lot of trees. So, Mm here's the plus lots of sunlight hit the forest floor. Here's the negative Japanese stilt grass everywhere. And if that had been addressed as soon as the logging operation happened, we could put it in retreat mode. But right now it's going to feel like somebody kicked you out of an airplane with a eight round clip or mag. And you've got a whole army coming down the hill towards you. Like, you feel overwhelmed, and that's where he's at right now. Like So it's going to take a lot of control. Um, fortunately, I think over time, he's going to chip away at it like rust on steel, and he's going to break through, and he's going to see an m- amazing amount of new uh, growth, uh, early secessional plant communities come back in. But right now, you might as well drape a a uh, tarp across some of those openings in the timber because it's Japanese steelgrass. Um
0: that's unfortunate. Yeah. But that is that is much of Tennessee and Kentucky when you have disturbances right now we're seeing that a lot through those states. So if you're listening to Indiana, there, Illinois, yep, parts of it, be uh, sure to be watching that. Yeah. Um, West Virginia, Virginia, I know has got quite a bit of it. Yeah, um, I've seen Pennsylvania covered up in it. Oh yeah, Pennsylvania. Yep. So definitely be watching that, guys. And, and just the other one, mindful. not
1: just Japanese stiltgrass, but any invasive, because you have yeah. to think about that sun's energy was being collected in the canopy of taller trees, and then once those trees are cut, that energy goes somewhere else, and so we can either put it in the form of whatever's growing, whatever natives are growing on the forest floors, or whatever trees are remaining. But if you have invasives, they're going to explode just as much, if not more. So picture um, you know, a crop field, let's say, of corn. And in that corn, you have a whole bunch of invasive A. Let's just say a whole bunch of pigweed, since that's a common one that you hear people talk about person comes in to hand select the corn and they cut all the corn and all they do is leave the pigweed standing well if that pigweed is now not competing with the corn it can go crazy that's what's happening with some of these invasives for example on this property there was one section that was really a lot of tree of heaven um mm-hmm. and once yeah. once the trees were cut the tree of heaven exploded you start seeing root suckers everywhere um I mean I'm going to give major props to this guy. He's a hard working man and he is getting after it. He's he's killing tree heaven. He's putting more sunlight on the ground by removing some other invasives and he's getting ready to full full on attack Japanese stilt grass. So, you know, nice. um in a in a different scenario, a different landowner that would go unmaintained and uncontrolled and it would just spread to the adjoining properties. But because it's on this guy's property, he's going to get
0: after it, and hopefully he's going to knock it out. And, and he's going to maximize that sunlight all in the process, too, yeah. of actually getting benefit from having some open canopy. It uh, kind of brings up a, an, another quick property review from Tennessee. So while you were working there, I was working in Tennessee after the National Park Federation, um, and there was a property that it had not yet experienced that that logging operation but was definitely due for one. the landowner knew so we kind of worked through the preparation of what that would look like what kind of trees they'd be taking what kind of um activities that he could expect to see and as we're laying out that property you know prior to a logging operation a lot of his bedding units are going to be done by the logging crew a lot of his um, food plot areas are going to be helped to helped be opened up through that logging operation. We're going to start to implement some larger areas that had um, – there were some, honestly, harvestable cedar on the property. Hopefully, that can get included in a sale, but that mixed cedar, oak, timber, hickory timber, um, part, parts of those on bigger ridgetops, we're going in. We're clear-cutting those and um, kind of just starting succession all the way back over and putting dotted food plots in there. But basically having stands of old fields and managing woody re-sprouts, kind of keeping those a little bit lower. And now we've got herbaceous growth in what would have been or what is right now 100-foot-tall trees and just close canopy forest. But that logging operation is affording him those opportunities to bring that type of cover Right back into the property, and so that's super cool to be on the front end of it. Um, I know that's not going to be the last time we're there, so super encouraged to kind of see this progression and keep bringing it to you guys because, you know, at some point there's a a, a property we've been on or have seen, and to some degree that stage is going to relate very closely to what you're at, and so we want to provide that information education but also encouragement there's other people out there in other states who have very similar goals who are maybe they're facing the same challenge or they're looking forward to the exact same benefits that you're going to receive and so just keep following along as we keep sharing all these unique I guess things that we're encountering but um, awesome opportunities to learn from
1: absolutely huge benefit to for, for our listeners is we never run out of content because when we hang up the mics or we hang up the phones, it's back to the grind. Monday through Saturday, we're dealing with exactly what we talk about here on the podcast. This is our job. This is our career. So we're we're in it. It's well over our heads uh, as far as how deep we're into this. So um, you have should have no fear and keep Keep tuning back in every week because it's going to be more and more <laughs> yeah. content. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I know some of it may seem a little bit repetitive because it seems like a whole lot of cutting, a whole lot of burning, a whole lot of treating invasives. But uh, each site is different. Each layout is different. And that's kind of one of the big things that we're doing is not only is it habitat improvement or habitat restoration, but it's also in a strategic manner to where our hunting is or their hunting depending on who it is, the client or us, is gonna get a whole lot better because it's all laid out perfectly. So
0: I, I I would love to go back to that Alabama property and do a whole podcast on it, but literally we don't have four hours to talk about the entire layout on a podcast. But it's it's like if we could share in full detail everything that we see while we're on a property, it'd be fantastic. But there we're we're skimming, we're hitting the high points and sharing that but, man, wouldn't that be cool if we could do that and, and have everyone there and be like, see, guys, this is what we're talking about, those real-life examples. That's man, right. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Maybe one of these days.
1: Maybe one of these days they can join us on a farm and we can just go over everything. That's right. Yeah. Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and that's another, I guess, wrap up another property that I visited uh, in the last month or so um, was – at once upon once upon a time it was uh pretty open lots of pasture mm-hmm. um and this one is also in Kentucky and uh basically it, once upon a time there was lots of pasture and then big timber and the pasture was you know your typical probably monoculture cool season grass yada 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 but What's interesting is at some point, 20 years ago, cows were pulled. Now we're going into old field kind of transition. But what happens? What happens when you just leave something alone? Well, it kind of transitions from one ecosystem to the next or one habitat type to the next. And it typically goes from early secession to more um, perennial, old, mature trees. Um, depending on what the site has. But Matt, I mean, you can almost gauge now with as much consulting as we do. You can kind of take a, a section of time and say, when this property was going through its big major transition yep. from one to the next, there was a certain thing, plant, practice, whatever, that was really popular at that time. That somebody used because somebody told them it was a good thing. They used it, and then the clock ticks, and it completely changed that the direction of that property for several more years. And so, yeah. you know, looking in that twenty to thirty or thirty-year window, you can go into the early '90s to the '80s, a kind of a popular thing was autumn olive. And this property had autumn olive scattered all through yes. it. And it was all in those old fields. So it's like 20 years ago or 30 years ago, whenever it was, the old fields, somebody planted autumn olive, autumn olive along the fence rows, and then it just like spread it's out over. like fleas across the landscape. Right. No fire. Um, no management of it uh new property new or new property owner. So, you know, they're just getting into it. Um they're doing some big things. So, Autumn Olive's going to be knocked out once again. That transition line of old field to timber or old pasture to timber has a great road around it or a pretty usable road, so easy fire lines. They're Fantastic. they're knocking a ton of these acres old fields that are dominated by yeah, whatever autumn olive and other n- not so great plants um they're going to be taking care of those converting it back to crop um, to make some income but add more food to the property gonna maybe even have some alfalfa thrown into the mix um and then fire in other acres to try to start knocking that autumn olive back because as anybody's ever dealt with it doesn't have real thick bark doesn't have a real great it's the exact opposite of a bur oak. Um, yeah <laughs> and so lots of fire is going to knock those back and uh, hopefully over time they're going to weed them out so that was kind of the big takeaway for them a lot of great potential uh, but once again you know in the timbered areas they're logging so yay them um, a lot more yay to the wildlife and then adding fire and acres adding some young forest adding some old fields, uh, more of the early secessional old fields. Um, So overall, this property is going to be great in five years. They're going to have a lot of, I mean, they're completely turning this ship around and headed back in the right direction. So um, yeah, that was a really cool property as well. Of course, you know us, if anybody's ever been around us much, we love a lot of properties. That we visit, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing I don't have all the money in the world because I'd own the world. Um, at I'd, least, I'd, at least the I rural would... land anyway.
0: I, yeah, I'd be land rich right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard a I heard a, a guy one time tell me I'm I'm uh, well he he says it in a little bit different word, more of an investment side, but he'll say I'm land rich and cash poor. Yep. Um, and that'd probably be me. So, yep, my degree. Right now, and just pour all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, goodness. Well. But anyway, so, yeah, just just a lot of really great things happening. A lot of a lot of clients that are very Im- ambitious to get out there and start managing property the right way. They're removing invasives. They're returning dis- disturbance. They're using cows in a more... Um, natural uh, process they're mimicking nature with their grazing habits rather than the overgrazing leave the gates open kind of thing Um, they're using it trying to replicate the bison herds of uh, early or before pre-settlement a lot of great things happening Um, but before I segue Matt you got anything you want to add before we jump into this week's kind of main topic no
0: I, I think I'm ready to jump right into that
1: yeah, so basically, while well, I was taking a drink while you were talking, but you you ended it pretty right. quick, so I had to gulp it down. But you know, this is kind of one of the big things that that we see a lot um, in conversation, social media, wherever. Um, and it's in once again, guys. Hopefully, we're not we're not going to offend you with this, but we come at you with with the thought of hopefully more of an outside of the box, more of a holistic mindset. Like we've said in past podcasts, there are certain ways to really manage a property that can really maximize, but you don't necessarily focus in on the exact species that you mainly want to manage for. Uh, we're trying to look at big picture and, and we can accomplish the goals and even go past the goals that you may have set, but we can't just look at directly at, Here's what you want, let's manage specifically for this one. You want deer, let's make food plots. lot bigger picture. And so this is a kind of a podcast to talk a little bit about the gauge, or let's say the float in where quality habitat, um, and we're going to say quality habitat because we're talking, um, if we're just managing for deer, we can get by with a number of species. But if we really want to make it so much better, we can add a whole long list of other plant species, trees, shrubs, grasses, forbs, whatever it is. We can add that even more and increase our usable space, increase the diversity on the landscape to where we can really maximize or take a sponge and squeeze out every last drop of goodness out of it on the property. And it doesn't always go back to just managing for deer because we're thinking big picture. So that,
0: yeah. And, and to kind of piggyback on that a little bit further, you know, it's really tough sometimes to, to look at a property and gauge, okay, how am I doing? And you, and if your, your main target, let's say is, is deer, you can look at, um, maybe the, the quantity of deer, or obviously the quality of deer, or maybe the um, the developing age structure in a local deer herd. Maybe you're trying to use those marks or those um, different indicators as judging your success in managing a property. And that can be very, very difficult to do. And sometimes you may not get an accurate representation of okay hey i just produced or i just harvested a 160 inch deer off of this farm that i just walked in and hunted opening day but on my home farm i've been managing it for four years and i don't have a 160 to shoot like what's going on it's very difficult and kind of can be frustrating sometimes to be in that situation but to to wrap up or kind of make concise what what Adam's saying is that's not the indicator that you should be using to judge or base habitat on, despite that being a goal, the whole important thing of, of habitat or you know, creating, let's say this mecca or this wonderful property that deer are going to um, not only persist but thrive in, is if we're managing habitat, we've got to look at plant diversity. We've got to look at the health of, of those species. The, the deer are simply the byproduct. So if we're managing habitat, are we increasing diversity? Are we increasing mass production? Are we increasing soil fertility, water quality? All these different things that, by again, the byproduct is going to be great deer, down the road but that takes time to develop that takes years for age structures to change that takes years for a five and a half plus year old deer to even be walking around that's been able to utilize that improved habitat those plant communities that diversity that you're trying to create so don't get down and don't get discouraged when you see a neighbor who doesn't put in any effort shoot a big deer because that's <laughs> that's a, that's like there's so many other factors and other things into the equation that allowed that to happen that you don't necessarily know of and and so don't don't get discouraged by that.
1: Absolutely, I think it's definitely one of those things. We've we've said this in previous podcasts, but um, when you look at if you're in the North, let's say Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and you're trying to gauge, man, it, it's kind of like in, in any field, in any sport, in almost anything we do, there's always, you know, if you're a professional athlete, there's World Series or Stanley Cup or whatever it is, <laughs> NBA, there's like this, this trophy of, that's the peak, that's the mountaintop, that's the that's what our goal is um and yeah, or whatever other awards or whatever it is what kind of recognition you need to say i've reached the top of the mountain i've achieved the t- the the goal i was shooting for and in land management it's easy to fall into well i want to kill the biggest deer in the county that is great if you can do that that's an awesome goal to shoot for but don't it gets very problematic like mac said if you use that as your goal and you spend all kinds of money and do all kinds of time and all kinds of sweat and work to and work like crazy and you turn around and you grow a 160 and you and you harvest that deer and you're like man this is amazing and then the next week uh, a guy stumbles out into the woods on a 500 acre a piece of timber with the wind bad, and he shoots a two hundred. Then it kind of makes you go, "Ooh, what if I is that guy better land manager than me?" Well, obviously not. He's he hasn't done anything, but he killed a bigger deer than you. So maybe he maybe he is better. That's the kind of thinking that, uh, or the kind of trap you can fall into if you let deer be the gauge of the quality of your landscape. And uh, that's where you know there's a there's a unit out of. And, shoot, they're very popular. I think most people have heard of them. But there's a a group of young guys that are out of Atlanta area, I believe. And they do a lot of hunting in the suburbs. And and I can think of some other guys that have hunted the suburbs of Kansas City. Um, There's a lot of really giant deer in in urban America that have not had food plots, have not had timber stand improvement, have not had... um, hinge cuts or or old fields or planted prairies they don't have access to that they're gnawing on (laughs) non-natives they're they're living (laughs) on kudzu privet bush honeysuckle um
0: ornamental azaleas yeah exactly
1: um what's the one that the guy always asked me that we should turn into a food plot Hostas. hostas they're living on hostas um And and none of those are are quality. You would never take those out and say, "This is quality. This is a quality plant. We're going to add to this amazing landscape." Because all those we just listed, I believe all the ones I listed are non-native, and a lot of them are on the invasive list. Minus the uh, hostas and and uh, and uh, yeah, hostas, azaleas. So that's the problem you could shoot a giant deer and say by golly i'm the best deer manager that ever that ever lived and then the very next day you could look on social media and see a guy that shot one eating english ivy or living off (laughs) english ivy in atlanta or uh, nashville or cincinnati any of these cities that have pretty big deer running around them so um, which
0: is which is great you know more power more power to you if you can do that you know if I had the opportunities, I'd be doing the same thing, but it's, it's the, don't use that as, as a gauge from, oh, well deer can just make it through that and still get big. Well, yeah, yeah, they can, but there's again, way, way too many other factors that are weighing in on that equation. And two Deer are a very, very generalist species, and and that's kind of a nerdy term to say. They can live anywhere, almost almost anywhere, from the from Florida to Maine, to the Western states, to Texas and Mexico. They are all over the place. And we talked. Did you pre-show. say Canada? Hot, Canada, yeah. Hot, cold east, west, it does not matter high elevation, low elevation, wetlands, prairies, they are (laughs) all they're
1: all over the place. All over
0: the place. We 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 know that with them being a general species, they are just naturally going to be in these kind of oddball locations or find them there. And again what we what we know too is when deer do have age on them, they get really big. But what happens when we have both age and high-quality groceries, low levels of um, uh, social stress or just stress in general, and quality cover? What happens when we put all those things together? Well, you and I both know, but sometimes it's tough when you're looking around at all these other maybe broken up landscapes or or areas that just is not being managed and you do get a deer that that gets to an older age class and like well how did that happen that's just it's horrible that it doesn't make sense it's i can't believe it yeah it's simply probably an age thing and and it's a great deer congratulations that hunter but deer are not the best caliber to gauge what's happening on your landscape i think i think when you intentionally work the landscape and are trying to get let's say a plant community or the health of a tree to improve well look at the health of that tree see if it does improve or or a food plot see if it does grow as you're doing soil amendments or you're switching your planting techniques um Whatever the case may be, but that, that deer or the inches of antler on a deer's head isn't always the best judge. You know, when you compare a generalist species to a very specific species that needs and requires very, very specific vegetation types throughout a year, like the bobwhite quail, People aren't really lucky into quail these days.
1: No. It's kind or, of an intentional or rough grouse.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Or rough grouse. It's a very pretty much intentional thing that you're you're probably managing for or or in an area that maybe the land use practices are benefiting those species directly. But man alive, you wanna talk about doing something specifically for a declining quail population and seeing quail come back now now that's an indicator that things are going well that's That's a that's a species that you can use to help gauge what's happening on the landscape so a keystone species versus a generalist like the deer they're not they're not equal it's not fair from a land manager or hunter's perspective to try and have an equal you know, platform for both of those when you're talking about judging landscape or, or wildlife responses to you managing the landscape.
1: Yeah, you can definitely, you know, we've said this before. If you want to know if you're doing great things in, on your property and you're in the north, try to gauge. Hopefully there's still some around that you can gauge. Oh, we've got rough grouse very active on our property. You're probably doing some great things. If you're Oklahoma or Missouri or a place where Georgia and all of a sudden you're doing all this work and you start seeing bobwhite quail numbers increase, you're doing something right. But if you're doing a bunch of food plots and doing some things and all of a sudden a big deer jumps out, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing everything perfectly. That might just mean that one of them slipped through the, uh, a buck slipped through the cracks and was able to get old. Doesn't mean that just because you planted a food plot or dumped out some mineral means that, whoa, he put on all these inches of antler. That's
0: right. That's right. There's just, there's just way too many factors, like we've said, that play into that role. And, and what, may be big in one region, may not be big in another. And that's not to say that that's good or bad, but we just have to realize what the what the whitetail is and how it <laughs> utilizes the landscape because it's, it's drastically different from, again, life history, life cycles of what quail need to be able to reproduce and be successful. The same thing with wild turkeys. You know, we talked a lot with uh, some researchers after... The National Wild Turkey Federation. And um, if you're seeing turkey numbers increase in your area, um, especially the southeast and the east, you're probably doing some things really good in, in your general region to see those numbers increase. That's another species that, you know, quality habitat really kinda has to be in place because of their um, I don't know, decrease in reproduction rates here lately so i'd say they're definitely less fragile than the quail i think we which all ones know that. did you say sorry
1: i was i said wild turkey oh yeah 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 yeah
0: so that's another one though it's, or
1: that you could even use i mean you could go with bobolinks you could list a several grassland species <laughs> birds or even woodland woodland birds. Woodland
0: species birds are, are on sharp declines throughout much of much you could say, these, you know, we're managing our
1: timber and all of a sudden we're starting to see red-headed woodpeckers or we're seeing summer tanagers. Here's
0: a, here's a fantastic red cockade woodpeckers. Yeah. <laughs> here's a, a great read I, I saw the other day. Um and basically they were they were listening and doing sound bites um uh, in different forest locations uh trying to See, engage the diversity of neotropical birds that were migrating. And um, they were doing the research, and I guess they had logged or or opened up or just a managed forest. And uh, they're taking the sound bites and listening through them. And uh, the species diversity that would utilize those sites over X amount of years that were managed was drastically higher than those of of closed canopy forests oh big shocker so, there, right, and it's like use use birds that are um, migrating through songbirds that would help you understand, okay, am I doing something better because they have to have in their their stops and their rest periods or where they're breeding um they have to have those necessary components, yep. on their flight patterns they so, need a
1: lot of insects therefore what attracts insects well flowering plants various diverse plants herbaceous cover so you don't find many of those in closed canopy forest
0: i would say that like deer and i and i love deer we both absolutely love deer our business is pretty much built around deer like we absolutely love them but it's one of those things where it's like, I'm going to worry as I manage the property on all the different natural resource components that a deer and a whitetail are going to need. But, but just by default, if I have those present deer is going to be fine and they're going to be able. there's going to be nothing limiting that they need on the landscape. We went over usable space last week on the podcast. Be sure to check that out for whitetails, but I, if I have that, the deer could be totally fine. They're, they're kind of like it's not; they're not an afterthought at all. But it's like I don't need to stress or worry about them. Like I don't need to be finite in my management to make sure their <laughs> basis is covered. Their basis yep. is covered way easier than a quail yeah. or a rough grouse.
1: Or and and you could even go away from managing for an animal and say. Let's manage this forest for a healthy forest. Um, And therefore, you know, we're going to increase diversity. We're going to increase uh, the age composition within this forest. So we have these various stages. Um, We're going to increase sunlight. And we're going to increase, you know, little openings in the forest. And overall, we're going to manage the forest to be as healthy as possible. Well, guess what? You're improving that whole
0: area for whitetail deer. Absolutely, because uh, you know what a healthy forest means. It
1: food means you have cover.
0: Yeah, you have different stages and and ages of trees. Yes. Then you so can go default, to. It's going to be better. <laughs> like the Prairie Hollow
1: property it has got a, a couple glades on it. Well, those glades by default aren't doing very good, but through active management. We're starting to help them out. We're bringing them back. We're we're pumping life back into those areas. We're not necessarily managing for deer because if we were, we, <laughs> I hate to say it, but we probably wouldn't touch the glades because, man, the, the deer seem to use the glades just fine. It's not like they need a lot of extra work. But managing those glades, we're trying to remove eastern red cedar encroachment and, and, and remove uh, non-native invasive species. In, bring natural disturbance back to the glade system and by doing that the deer are going to do much much better off of that work but we're not really managing it for deer in mind
0: yeah i i want to keep like as as we're i don't want to ever say we're winding down in land management season but but we're getting into a window where a lot of people are kind of starting to think uh, one, turkeys are definitely on the brain, but two, the food plot window is starting to definitely open up and increase, and maybe maybe less work in the timbers being done as we're getting closer to um, trees budding, flowering, everything. But we, we cover this topic, to, again, and provide encouragement and fuel to say, as bucks start growing antlers, and you're starting to look at them throughout the spring, don't don't necessarily use that as a judge of what's happening on your property as a, I'm, I'm doing the best or man, I'm, I'm not getting the deer that I thought that I was going to on trail camera or they're not growing as much as I thought. That's not, let's say your indicator of the work and the value that you're bringing to that landscape or that property. You're doing good work. Keep it up. If you're following along, and you're rolling up the sleeves. We Adam, remember the gentleman that we met at the QDMA convention? The man oh, had yeah. tendinitis in his elbow because he has been running a chainsaw so much. And it's like, that guy right there, he may not see a deer this year, or this fall. I hope that he does. But let's say he doesn't see one bigger than, than the last year. That does not mean that that tendinitis in his elbow... Was all in vain. He is doing great work and needs to be rewarded. So, this is encouragement, guys, to keep after it, to keep fighting the good fight, working the land for value of other things just beyond maybe inches of antler. Look into the plant communities. Small game species is another one. Maybe cottontail rabbit is something you want to start chasing. Yeah. You could look, you could look into increasing rabbit habitat.
1: Rabbitat. yeah i'll share one quick story before we wrap up um we have a client that is really you know just like a lot of our clients he's focused he wants he wants to increase the overall he wants to move the bar up in quality of his whitetail deer herd um and a couple of years ago he shot a deer that was well over 200 inches which isn't that uncommon um in this day and age, but when it's almost 40 inches over 200, um, it is, it's it is—it's a pretty good step in saying, That's wow, like something's one, going one on on that farm.
0: No, one eyebrow doesn't get raised, it's both of them. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, <gasps> <laughs> yeah. And what what is not known about that property is the significant increase in pheasants, which, come on, what, I, I, I said pheasants first. I should have said quail first since they uh-huh. are native. So Darn I'll you. backtrack and see. What is not talked about or what is not known is that the the deer have shown some increase in, in health and in overall antler score. But most importantly, there's way more birds on this property in, in all kinds, grassland birds, woodland birds, as well as game birds like bobwhite quail like the pheasant and turkeys there's uh, from talking with them the guys that are managing this property they're finding more and more pheasants every year on this place more and more quail every every fall they're hearing they're kicking them up in the spring and summer as they're doing work there's it's a very bird rich environment which tells us that it's very insect rich um It's also very diverse because those birds aren't leaving a lot during the winter. So there's plenty of bugs during the summer and plenty of grain and seeds during the winter um, and plenty of cover as well. So that's been kind of just a confirmation to us of all the great work that they've got going on on that property is going, yikes, they're killing some really, really big deer and they're also seeing a huge increase in game bird populations as well as other
0: species so when when you walk on a property and it's well managed, and I think we said this in podcast too. you gotta before. smoke
1: me out to get me to leave. You...
0: <laughs> <laughs> but when you step on it, that farm or that property, it is alive. Yeah. you can hear buzzing, you can hear birds. Hopefully they're goblin, but I mean, I'm talking birds of all kinds, shapes and sizes. You can literally hear, it's it's like an anthem of just, hey, we're loving this, guys, keep it up. But that's the indicator, that's the gauge that you want to be focusing on. You want to make your property, when it's springtime or it's summertime, every time you walk on it, you want it to be alive and ringing with just nature sounds, not just silence in the timber and just dark, dreary, closed canopy timber. You want it to be alive.
1: That's the goal
0: to shoot for. That's right. That's right.
1: Well, hopefully everybody um, is finding some time to get outside, um, keeping a healthy distance away from everyone. (laughs) Just do Uh, it by yourself. (laughs) Yeah. What better time to go outside than now? Um and hopefully um everybody's enjoying this podcast. I have one request for you guys, and it's funny to me, but it does uh I'm I'm gonna ask that once again, hey guys, if you enjoy this podcast, if you've listened for very long at all, please head over to our um iTunes or just your podcast app on your iPhone and go to the Land and Legacy podcast. Look for the green logo, and please leave us a review. Um, There's one right now that the guy complained about our audio, and uh, that's the first one you see. So I'm asking you guys, please go leave us a review, (laughs) and let's get that one bumped down. Um, We fixed the audio, hopefully. Guys, have a little grace for us, please. We're two guys that just love plants and managing land. And we're trying to bring you two podcasts a week, so please, 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 um, understand that we aren't your best uh, tech engineers here. But by golly, we've been doing this for a while now. So two hundred, almost two thirty, probably. I think all said and done, I think there's like two fifteen on Sportsman's Nation right now. So, um, God, Yeah, awesome. crazy, crazy. Been doing a while. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, guys, thanks again. And I got a request.
0: Okay. I got a request. We got, we got to give a uh, shout out to our, our good friend, Nathaniel Max, who came on last week and uh, Niangle Coffee. And, That's right. Uh, he is just a, a heck of a guy. You hopefully picked that up from um, his time on the podcast, but be sure to go to Niangle Coffee, give them a like, check out some of their stuff. Bly Down Roast is available, but uh, appreciate him as a friend and coffee ain't bad either.
1: That's right. All right, guys, thanks again, and we'll catch you next week.
0: See ya.